If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Our guest on this week's soundtracking is something of a proto-feminist in Hollywood terms in that he makes it his mission to put strong, charismatic women at the very centre of his narratives. Paul Feig made his name with Bridesmaids in 2011, a much-loved comedy starring Kristen Wiig, Rose Byrne and Melissa McCarthy that has more than stood the test of time. Eight years later, he's back with another female-led offering, Last Christmas, which was written by and features Emma Thompson and sees Amelia Clark take the lead. Scored by Paul's regular collaborator, Theodore Shapiro, Last Christmas is held together musically by a string of George Michael classics, and we'll have more about both these gentlemen shortly. First, a word from our friends at Encoda, which is like Spotify for musicians, or at least for those that read sheet music. Encoda is an app containing a massive digital library of sheet music sourced directly from 100 leading publishers. Encoda has all the tools you'd expect to make playlists, mark up scores and play offline and can be used on your tablet, mobile and desktop so you can study and play your favourite works on one app for £9.99 a month. You've heard this before I'm sure but Encoda was designed to make a musician's life easier and more affordable. So much time, money and effort can be saved by consolidating all of one's musical practice and study in one place. And Encoda, like music study and performance, is a very personal experience. Everyone's taste is different and every favourite piece of yours can be assigned a unique memory or feeling. You can keep all those pieces and visit those memories and feelings whenever, wherever you wish, on Encoda. Simplify all of your study, practice and performing into one app with Encoda and explore a whole universe of music. Encoda, made by musicians for musicians. Try Encoda for free on your app store today. That's N-K-O-D-A. You might even like to have a go at playing a few George Michael tunes, which leads us neatly onto Paul and Last Christmas. Where to begin? Hmm, I wonder. Tracking. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to have you. Um, before we dive in, I have to give you a message from my very dear friend Rosie. 
um, because she just wanted me to say thank you to you. Oh. Um, because um, Bridesmaids to Heart is a film that helps her through so many different times in life. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of people. Oh, that's so, so nice. Yeah, so that's really, really kind. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you. Yes. Um, last Christmas. I, I was just telling you, I cried at your film. It just <laughs> does things to you. It's yeah. It does. It sprinkles that Christmas honesty, I think, at you. You know, because Christmas isn't all about fun and laughter. There are some kind of, you know, there's always... Yeah. real things going on as well at that time. And you really pull on that, I think, really brilliantly in the film. Oh, thanks. I mean, it is a, a very emotional time. That's what I kind of like about yeah. Christmas. It's it's Everything's kind of raw in both a great <laughs> way and in a terrible way. Yeah. You know, because you're coming together with people that you don't normally see throughout the year and you're feeling things that you're you know, usually tamped down. Yeah. When, you know, it's funny. You kind of you, you go into the – you kind of crawl into Christmas and then you come out the other side – both invigorated and exhausted. And then, yes. And then the rest of the year just kind of grinds you down again. And then you repeat over and over again this, this yeah. cycle. You just get to eat more food and drink. <laughs> See, that's why, that's, why, that's why it's all about food because that gets you through all the rest of it. Can we talk a little bit about this, this journey that last Christmas got to you and how it got to you? Because I believe that Emma had and Greg kind of came up with this idea quite a long time ago. Yeah, it was about eight or nine years ago wow. that actually David Livingstone, our one of our producers on the film, brought the idea to Emma of just like, hey, maybe we should make a Christmas movie based on the on the song Last Christmas. And you know, according to Emma, she was like, ah, that sounds like a weird idea. <laughs> but then it kind of stuck in her head. And so she and Greg were just walking around the highlands up in uh, Scotland where they have a house and uh, started to break the story and really liked it. And they ended up kind of putting it together and developing it for eight years. And at one point, Brian Kimmings came in and did a did a draft of the script. And then they just kept working on it. Uh, yeah. And then it got sent to me about a year and a half ago because Emma and I were supposed to do the movie late night together. And then our scheduling kind of fell apart. But um, we had become really close after yeah. meeting a couple of times on that. And so we're like, we're very similar sensibilities. We should do something together. And then in came the script, and it was great. Was it kind of instant for you, and that you were like, you kind of saw something that you wanted to do with it? Yeah, yeah. Because I look, I get sent a million scripts, and you know, some from really great writers. And so, even though it's coming from Emma Thompson, you're like, okay, I don't know. Maybe I'll like it. Maybe I won't. But honestly, the minute I started to read the script, I was like, there's something wonderful here. And by the time I got to the end, I was like, okay, I was just wrecked. I was yeah. like, I'm doing this <laughs> yeah. no matter what because she. Spoken to George Michael before he passed away about yeah. the music and and it being you know a part of the score of it and this narrative I guess is yeah. yeah she had gotten to to, to pitch him the idea wow. and he'd read the treatment and everything it was a number of years ago and uh, loved it and he would even brought up the idea of you know getting the homeless element in there because that was a big cause yeah. of his uh, yeah so it's nice to know that he was aware of it and, and yeah. liked what he heard I mean because there's a really interesting story in itself about talking to you about the music and working between that and your composer Theodore as well. But how much of the music was written into the script? The original script I read just kind of had a couple of places where Emma put in some markers for it. You go like, oh, they walk around London. It'd be a nice, nice excuse to hear some George. Yeah. You know, so we had that. It was once I came on and the, the, his estate had us watch a two-hour version of the documentary that he directed about his career. And that's when I got a new understanding of George because I was just like a casual fan. I knew the hits from MTV. Yeah. But once I saw that movie and heard these other songs and then started listening to the albums and finding these other tracks I didn't know, that's when I started going like, I think this this needs to be like the George Michael soundtrack movie because it's just 
the emotions that he writes about yeah. and the emotions that his songs bring up in you yeah. are so reflective of what Kate and what the characters in this, this movie are going through. And, uh, you know, we went into production with a few songs that we wrote in, like Heal the Pain shows up a few times and yeah. Praying for Time is in there. finished the movie and I started doing post it grew from five songs to like 15 songs wow. including one never before never before heard song that we got the that's rights great to. yeah that they were kind enough to let us have that's amazing because mm-hmm. it kind of gives it a real special nod from him in a way in terms of you know sort of his blessing in a way and yeah it's and nice. it's really a beautiful song yeah. I mean it's now it's kind of out where people can hear it called yeah. this is how and it's worth really listening to it listen to the lyrics because it's it's lovely it's really him kind of telling his sort of credo in life about yeah. things that he wouldn't do you know and i just love it there's a whole thing where he's saying you know he wouldn't bully his kids he wouldn't raise his hand to his wife you know you would drop a, some people will drop a pill in a drink and it's 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 very it's, it's kind of a perfect kind of denouement to you know yeah. his his career i think yo daddy was a drinker just kept drinking till the shit he was thinking that it's true your mom was a thinker She just wasn't thinking of the day that she looked at him and said, I do Cause I will always, I will always, I will always, I will always Try to get my shit together I guess we always, guess we always knew That it would be stormy weather This is how we want you to get high The way that we show you
fight For some the children and the things to play I never tried to tell them to drink I know how low you can sink My heart, my heart is better than I'm that Since the fight of my life I'll raise a hand to my wife For some the children and the things to and the, the songs they do such a, a unique thing I think in terms of they're not kind of clearly depicting the narrative right. but they relate to the narrative really subtly but kind of perfectly and that's yeah. that's testament to his songwriting and that these yeah. universal themes that his lyrics have yeah he wrote them but they could be about you they could be yeah, well, that's the thing. And that's why the movie just started begging his songs. I yeah. mean, they really organically, the movie would just kind of go, we need a song here. And then you go, and this one, you're like, oh, God, this fits perfect. Because you're right. I mean, the last thing I wanted to do is like the lyrics are like, she's walking down the street, you know, <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. But I call this movie, it's not a jukebox movie. I consider it like a soundtrack of a person's life movie. Yeah. And, you know, when you have your favorite artist. Those songs are with you all the time, and yeah. then certain things will just trigger a song in your head. And that's kind of how I face this: is more like, what song would she be thinking about right now, or what song would sort of you know you listen to at this moment, or what song would kind of illustrate how she's feeling right now? And so it was interesting. I mean, we've had a few critics who have kind of felt like they were very the songs were very random, and it's like, no, they're actually <laughs> we worked really hard to make sure that these were reflective of what was going on. In one way or another, for this person. Yeah. Did you have free reign then? If you could use anything in his estate, music-wise. Well, originally we didn't. We actually were under a lot of constraints of what we could and couldn't use. Again, the movie begged it more than the rules did, and so I just started putting them in, going like, "Well, I, maybe they'll just see how well these work." And it, that's what happened. Is when they, you know, at first we were like, "We need 15 songs." I was like, "Oh, what? You know, that's a lot." Yeah. But then when they saw it, they realized, "Yeah, this is these are just kind of perfectly." in there they're illustrating what we need to feel at that moment in yeah. the film and then when you're having those conversations with with theodore about the, the score and yeah. how he finds this place between score and those seamless joins between the score and the songs yeah. and what were the conversations that you had with him and, and yeah well teddy's brilliant i mean this is my fourth movie with him yeah. and um Again, we were we were all so taken with the song "Heal the Pain" that they, I mean, it just it, even more, way more than than Last Christmas, which is a song we all love. But "Heal the Pain" just it just felt like that is this movie.
so once I found that, and then we, you know, I said to him originally, oh, I want to do the scene that we want to see young Kate in the beginning and just see who she was and you know, see this angel faced kid with a future ahead of her. And then we meet her present yeah. day and she's a mess. And he's like, oh, let's have her singing in a church. But that, I was like, wait, she should be singing like a George Michael song, but it should sound like a hymn. And just said to Teddy, can you write, write the hymn version of Heal the Pain? And he sends this thing in. I'm just like, it still just crushes me every time I hear it because it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then Heal the Pain just got into the score. working on the score and he was just like playing with his interpolation putting it in there and it just it just raised the level of everything it was really amazing and then yeah. you know and then but then on top of that he's so talented he came up with this thing which is called kind of the london town theme yeah. that piano piano song that plays uh throughout especially when they go to the secret garden and um Teddy's such a genius that he just finds a way to this is, look. He and I talk about this all the time. This is yeah. the hardest score we've ever had to do together, and it really? seems like it'll be easy because yeah. of all the George music. But it just because of that, George is all over this thing, and you had to make sure we didn't detract from George and we didn't compete with George, but that we pulled it in, but that we weren't taking too much, <laughs> you know. And so he really did a masterful job, sort of in a way that he might not even get credit for because he he makes it look really easy. And then on top of that, you've got Christmas being the backdrop as well. So you have this light dusting of, mm. you know, of those kind of Christmas sounds that we, you hear and you instantly know, oh, yeah, it's Christmas, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Whether it be kind of bells or, or yeah. and that kind of thing as well. It's, yeah. You know, like you say, it's done so, the way the three things are weaved together is so subtle. But really mm-hmm. effective. Yeah, because I mean, we you know, we worked a long time even just trying to figure out what is what's the instru- instrumentation for this. You know, is the piano right? Is yeah. like you say, where would we put bells? And also, kind of, what is the sound? Because George's music has a is a very a lot of it is very eighties in in its instrumentation, um, and it's also got a pop drive to it. But then we don't want our score to copy that or try to, you know, we don't want to try to, like, here's our 80s <laughs> instrumentation. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, again, it was really tricky. But I think, you know, for us, the piano kind of unified things. And then, like you say, the bells and all these kind of natural instrument sounds yeah. felt like London to yeah. us.
and having a cast that can sing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Important. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, when I cast Amelia in this, I was so happy that she wanted to do it. She's got a great voice. I've never heard her sing before. Well, I, I, I didn't know she could sing. Oh, so very dumbly. Great. It's crazy. <laughs> like, I literally signed the contract for her. And everybody's like, okay, great. Yeah, you see, so we're all set. And they go like, no, she, she can sing, right? And I was like, I did not ask. <laughs> I don't know why. I just, for some reason, either, I just kind of assumed she could. But then he's like, oh, no. But then I looked online and found this Dolce & Gabbana commercial that she had done where okay. she sings this Italian song. And it's so great. And I was just like, is that you? And she goes, yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Okay, good. <laughs> so, man, I dodged a bullet on that because she could have been completely tone deaf. Dimmi quando tu Dimmi quando, quando, quando giorno lo There's, there's some great characterizations in the film as well, you know, and I love as well that, that you've got Amelia, then you have these kind of three uh, female characters that kind of sit behind her, her mom, her sister and her boss. Sort of thing. Yeah. Brilliantly written characters, very funny. Mm-hmm. I also love the policewomen duo. <laughs> they are brilliant. Aren't I want a spin-off, please. I know, they need, their own, they need their own TV show. <laughs> <laughs> they were great. But yeah. it's just, that's kind of, Sort of just the way that you allow them to come to the forefront, you know, those mm-hmm. characters. They, it's not just about these. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, I think that's a lovely layered thing for the film as well. Yeah, well, I try to do that in all my movies. I hate wasting a second of screen time. And, yeah. and you know, and there's, there, there are definitely roles in movies that are like one line, two line things where sometimes people will just go, oh, we'll just cast whoever. But to me, it's like, no, those make or break the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, if you have somebody come in and do one thing and you, it's memorable, yeah. or they get to the set and they bring something in that you didn't think of, yeah. that's my favorite thing in the world. Why waste, you know, why waste a second of screen time with some sort of charisma-less person who's just like, oh, yes, they went over there. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like, no, that person could still be really interesting. That's what I love about the old. Hitchcock movies and all that of like he never wasted a character. There's always the side characters were always quirky and yeah. odd, and and that's you know that's like life. You we, we run into quirky odd people all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How um, there's a beautiful. I was quite vocal when I was watching the film. I really annoyed the person sat next to me singing all the George Michael songs, and then the cameo at the end in the church of Andrew Ridgely yeah. is just a beautiful moment. And I kind of was like, yes, screen. <laughs> Did he teach much persuasion? Well. Uh, Andrew became a very close friend of mine through this oh, process. Fantastic. It's crazy because when we, yeah, when we were in the, before we started shooting, we had to get the rights, you know, lock down the rights to everything. Yeah. And, and he's a part owner of, of the song Last Christmas. And, you know, he was kind of a last minute person we had to get to sign off. And he, he could have held us up, but he was so sweet and so, you know, just into the idea of this project that he, you know, he really did us a solid by very quickly kind of agreeing to let us use the song. and. Because of that, we started having dinners together, and now we're so close. I'm actually, the minute I'm finished ta- talking to you, I'm going to go meet Andrew. He's going to meet in our room uh, before we all go to the uh, the premiere. We have some champagne and go hang out. That's lovely because that's kind of, you know, the way in terms of how you must feel personally about how these 
songs have been used by you know his very dear friend who's no longer with us yeah yeah how you've you've used that yeah well he's i mean he is one of the loveliest people i know and you know just proud of his career and proud of his work with george and um yeah it was it was really it's just a very special thing for all of us you know those of us like myself who didn't even know george i just feel like now i know him through this you know experience but then for the people who did know him it was a very emotional thing for his sisters yeah you know everyone's still reeling from the loss of, of george i mean yeah. it's you know it's only been three years now what a wonderful way to remind people of his work well that's i get excited about because you know, not only is this kind of reminding people who were fans of how great he was, but it's bringing his music yeah. and him to a whole new generation of, of people. And I'm just so excited of the, you know, I, I go online like George Michael is trending now, you know, and the, the soundtrack, it was at number one, you know, recently. I don't know if it still is. It might be. But that's, you know, that's great. This is people experience. They're having the experience I had when I started putting this movie together yeah. of discovering songs that I didn't know. And it just makes you go like, oh, my God, what a genius he was. of genius i mean emma is yeah she's just extraordinary it's crazy of. that so she's much just, talent could be oh one person <laughs> it's just like you could when you first see her on screen you kind of go it's like it's like put on a comfortable pair of slippers do you know what i mean it's just oh, yeah. like oh yes here she is <laughs> yep here yeah. she comes <laughs> and you know when i think of her and and christmas movies as well you think of of you know the richard Curtis of, of yeah. love actually and mm-hmm. that god that incredible musical moment yeah. with the the, the, CD. John, the, oh my God, the CD, yeah, it makes me want to cry yeah. thinking about it as yeah. well. It's kind of, you know, her hearts and to have that experience of that film as well, you can see where the heart in this film has kind of come from as well, I think. Okay, I'll get it, I'll get it. No, 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 I want to choose mine, I want to choose mine. I think I want... <laughs> this one. Uh-huh. This one. Uh, I have a course board to the traditional scarf as well, but this is my other slightly special personal one. Thank you. That's a real first. Rip it. What is it? <laughs> I'm going to it. All right, I'll rip it. God, that's a surprise. What is it? <laughs> it's a CD. Joni Mitchell. Wow. To continue your emotional education. Yes. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> That's great. My brilliant wife. Ah, yes. Actually, um, do you mind if I just absent myself for a second? All that ice cream. Uh, darling, could you make, just make sure the kids are ready to go? All right, no, I'll be back in a minute. Moons and dunes and fairest wheels 
The dizzy dancing way that you feel As every fairy tale comes real I've looked at love that way But now it's just another show And you leave them laughing when you go And if you care, don't let them know Don't give yourself away I've looked at love from both sides now From give and take And still somehow it's love's illusions that I recall I really don't know love. I really don't know love at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Emma's just amazing. And, um, you know, the fact that she wrote this thing and, and, you know, it's so good. But then whenever I do a movie, I always want to have the writer with me on set next to me yeah. the entire time. And then she was also producer. So I was, you know, I said, like, obviously I want you there. And she's like, oh, no, I, I want to be there. So, which is so great. But then, you know, she wasn't supposed to be in the film. Um, she no, 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 never. No, it was, she was just going to produce it, and and yeah, she didn't write a role for herself. And oh then I God. when I said you're going to be on the set the whole time, I was I just kept thinking to myself, how am I going to go like on a press tour when the movie's all finished and people go like, so Emma's there with you the whole time. Why is she not in the movie? <laughs> well, we wanted to be authentic. We wanted to do this and that. It's like how I gotta have Emma in the movie. So I said like Emma, you you have to play the mom. She was like, well, I thought about it, but I don't know. I, I probably shouldn't. I was like, no, please, please do it. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah, isn't that great? And then she, you know, learned this accent and was always working with our, our Serbian consultant on the, on the film and just, you know, getting, learning the language and making sure her accent was right and, yeah. and you know, being authentic. And then, yeah, and then she comes on the set and you're just like, this is amazing. Yeah. She's so great. Yeah. Are Christmas films hard to make? Do you think of this as a Christmas film? Well, I mean... I can't not because Christmas is so yeah. tied up in it, but yeah. I also say that this movie could easily not have Christmas in it at all, and it would, yeah. be, it would be the same kind yeah, of movie. Yeah, yeah. I just think what you lose without Christmas is just the trappings of emotionality of this time of year. It's and the of, jeopardy that Christmas offers you, isn't well, yeah, it? Yeah, well, the jeopardy, like, totally, because yeah. it's everybody's so raw and at that, you know, just kind of ready at <laughs> the razor's edge. But then it's also a very redemptive time. And yeah. this is such a movie about redemption of oneself that I don't know if it would be as nice not being a Christmas movie. So yeah. I'm thrilled that it is. But they're, the Christmas movies are they're no harder to make than normal movies. You just know you kind of are bringing along both a curse and, a, and an expectation that yeah. is <laughs> you, you kind of know the critics are going to get you because they're already dressed up as scrooge you well, yeah exactly <laughs> you know good look i love critics i have no problem with critics but it's something you go like yeah I, I, movies like this can feel frivolous i think and and you tend to miss the second and third layer um because of all the christmas trappings you know yeah. which are so beautiful but corny at the same time and it's very easy to, you know, walk down the street with Christmas decorations all over the place when Christmas is just about to start. And you're just, you know, when it starts too early, especially, and you just go like, ah, well, I don't like all this stuff. It's all commercial. And, you know, it's easy to poo-poo yeah. it. Yeah. But then 
as you get into it, it is like a big warm embrace. Absolutely. I'm all for the big warm embrace <laughs> from like October. Thanks very much. Yeah, exactly. Can we talk a little bit about Bridesmaids? Because yeah. just the most extraordinary film, mm. I think. And, yeah. you know, if I had to kind of compile a list of my favorite films of all time, it would be in there. Because oh, my goodness. It did so much, I think. And, yeah, I mean, the music-wise as well. <laughs> I mean, the Wilson Phillips track is the first thing I think about. You know, <laughs> that's just... I don't know that it's oh yeah, there's so much about it. But anyway, what are your memories of of that film and mm. and starting on it more so than kind of after it kind of had that huge success and yeah, I mean it was it was such a fun movie to make. Um, it was great for me because I I've always been trying to get female led projects going, uh, just because I love telling stories of of women really, yeah. and you know it, it really for me started to crystallize when I did Freaks and Geeks and just, you know, creating the character of Lindsay. Yeah. And as I loved writing for her and loved all her issues that she had and then spent a good 10 years trying to get female-led projects off the ground and yeah. just was told you couldn't do it, <laughs> they don't sell, which is, you know, ridiculous. So when so when that popped up, you know, the script came up and Judd wanted me to do it, you know, it just seeing all these roles for women was so exciting. And then Production was just so much fun because everybody was so funny and just getting to play and they were all so genius. Yeah, it was it was really wonderful. But then it was nerve-wracking too because I think we were always looked at as we may not work for some reason. There was a lot of pressure on us to do well, you know, a lot of weird pressure of like, well, we got to, before we can green light these other female-led movies, we have to see how Bridesmaids does. Oh, wow. And yeah, and you're like, well, that's, that's not fair. Pressure. Yeah, also yeah, you like... When they're making movies about men, they don't go like, well, okay, if this doesn't work, we can't have movies yeah. starring men anymore. But it just shows <laughs> that weird double standard that's yeah. out there. But it also was probably one of the greatest feelings of victory when the movie did well. So, uh, and the fact that just people, you know, it's been eight years now that people still talk about it oh all the time. God. That's people come up to me constantly with, they watched it 20, 30 times. And, you know, that's the greatest award you can have. I take that over an Oscar any day. Yeah, it's one of those films in years to come, people will still be watching it and still hope, yeah. be tickled by so many parts of it. It's like you were saying earlier about all these characters who deserve you know a bit of time to show how great they are. And this is a great example of that. Mm, yeah. All these brilliant females, mm. all very different, mm -hmm. all who bring something. They're all pieces of the puzzle for this film, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah. And without one, it just wouldn't quite be what it is. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, movies are like these kind of, you know, to have a movie that really works and stands the test of time, it, it's just you almost kind of, I don't say luck into it, but you just kind of, it, it either kind of happens or it doesn't. You yeah. know, I mean, there's so many movies and you just kind of, every movie you make, you hope like, oh, I hope that all kind of gels that same way and there's a million different variables but when it all hits if you got the right people and you got the right script and just all the circumstances are right then at least you have a, a good chance but it hardly ever works out that way was it easy to cast uh well that it was a long process casting that because you know nobody was famous in the in the cast whatsoever i mean rose was probably the most well-known yeah. of the bunch and Kristen was known from snl but yeah. not movies so we mixed and matched a lot of people we saw a lot of amazing women i mean so many good people but then once we pared it down to sort of a couple of candidates two or three candidates per role then we did a lot of mixing and matching have these people come in and work yeah. together okay you stay and it, but once once it became apparent it became very apparent and then we were just off to the races i mean 
I, I wasn't really that aware of Melissa McCarthy before this yeah. film. Oh my God. I yeah. mean, talk about a kind of force of nature. Yeah. And just like, wow, what a talent. Well, that's why she's so good because she's a real, she's a really good actress. Yeah. You know, all, I mean, all the women I work with who are hilarious are also really great actresses. <laughs> because again, you know, you, you can't just put funny people in a movie, yeah. especially in the leads of a movie or in big parts because they have to be able to hold an audience, you know, and jokes are great, but you know, you can't fill a movie with just two hours of jokes, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then yeah. you have to have emotional investment in these characters. You have to know. You know, you have to feel like you know them. You have to really relate to them and be surprised by them. That's a lot to, you know, to do effectively. And there's, you know, to be the lead of a movie is is such an impossible thing. And, you know, it really just shows that some people just have that natural talent and charisma. And talent, I mean, beyond like, you know, learning how to act or honing your craft. Yeah. There's just a charisma, I mean, that has to be there. It comes from that talent. It comes from the funniness and all that. Mm. Uh, but you can't really quantify it until you see it. You know, yeah. That's where we're always just, you know, we're, as directors, we're just auditioning people and you think you see it in there. And some people, you know, you think you see it and then it's not there when you get it on screen. Other people, you don't even think it's going to be there and suddenly it's there and times 10. Yeah. You're constantly surprised. And then also the audience tells you too. I mean, I've had movies I've done where you go like, this person's going to break big off of this. And then it turns out to be another character who I never even thought about goes through the roof. Yeah. And you're like, wow, okay. It just It's interesting how this sorts itself out. Because with the music with that as well, obviously there's so many great tunes in that, be it Blondie, mm. the Wilson Phillips track, the yeah. Nouvelle Vague, Wilson yeah. Sun, all that kind of stuff as well. And yeah. then Michael Andrews' score on, on, on top of that as well. Mm. Was that a fun side of it for you when you have this kind of, the you know, that mix of the contemporary tracks that you yeah. throw in there? and choosing and deciding on those and then working with the composer. Yeah, I mean, that's my favorite thing is picking the music for a movie, you know, yeah. finding the right songs. Because, you know, when you get the right song with the right visual and the right part of the story, that, to me, is when movies transcend everything. You just know them when you see them. And it's all the experimentation goes into it. But I'm always trying to find the sound for my movie. You know, like I just did a movie. My last one was called Simple Favor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just finding that 60s French pop you go like, okay, this unified. I just need something to unify a movie. I think that's why I get so hung up on it. Sous aucun prétexte, je ne veux avoir de réflexe malheureux. Il faut que tu m'expliques un peu mieux. Comment te dire adieu? so hung up on 
uh, you know, when, when other people were going like, we don't need all this George music. I was like, no, we need it because this unifies this this story yeah. to this character because this is who she likes. This is who she is. is this is who is her hero. Yeah. And it just pulls you through the film. Absolutely. With Bridesmaids, was there much written into the script? Was that Wilson Phillips' track written into the script? No. Was that kind of like you say, you know, you sort of trying things out? Yeah, it was really. We just had that that um, Helen hires hires some big band, you know, famous band. That was it, was. it really started as a joke of like, you know, she's like, oh, I'm I'm not going to do anything, you know, I'm just trying to be normal now. And then all of a sudden, you know, she she some very famous band comes out, and that was it. But then we were trying to figure out who we were going to do and what song. And I remember. We had a big thing where we just wrote all these songs and we were kind of going around the set to all the women. Like, yeah. what one of these songs means more to you or who, what band do you like? And it was weirdly, it was the, you know, Hold On was the song that everybody, and I I didn't know that song. I mean, I'm kind really? of, yeah, not really. I wasn't a big Wilson Phillips follower just because <laughs> yeah. it's not, wasn't the, the world I was in. Yeah. And so I was kind of like, wait, what is the song that everybody keeps? Because <laughs> you know, that wasn't my idea. I think Kristen had put it on a list. And they're like, oh, no, this song, oh, everybody loves this song. I was like, really? And then, you know, then, oh my God, it just went through the roof. And it was so fun to work with them. They were so lovely. I know this pain. Why do you lock yourself up in these chains? No one can change your life except for you. Don't ever let anyone step all over you Just open your heart and your mind mm-hmm. Is it really fair to feel this way inside? to a different one of them you know you and your girlfriends are a different one of Wilson Phillips sort of thing, so yeah like well there's a, just certain anthems <laughs> yeah. that like as a guy you don't realize that there's like a you know feminine uh, anthem going on just like some women don't realize <laughs> some guys like this is our song that we all <laughs> yeah, rally yeah, yeah. to and so that was really cool I mean that's that's why I you know, always say like that's why there needs to be like parody behind the scenes and in movies like we have to have men and women working on stuff together so we can gut check each other and make sure that we're being honest doing honest portrayals of each other yeah it's really interesting I was talking to someone about this before when I said I was coming to talk to you and we were talking about how you get a voice for women basically mm. you know in your films whether it be you know it, you know with Ghostbusters as well you know mm. and, and doing a great job with that in terms mm. of, of of just giving that a, a female voice yeah and, and why that's important to you what is it about on these you know when you look back on all these films and there's always a real female injection of no, I've got a voice. I've got something to say. Yeah, I, you know, it, it's I just got tired of how bad women's roles have been for the last several decades, especially in comedy. I mean, yeah, because that's the world I live in, and you know, women have been props for so long in these movies, or just very one-dimensional. But, but if they're lucky, there's a second dimension may come out, you know. But I just I don't know. All the women I know in my life and have always known made me upset when I would watch these bad portrayals that were yeah. felt so one-dimensional of either, like, they're either the mean shrew who's, you know, keeping the 
keeping the guy from doing what he wants or she's the perfect you know prize and has no personality really or you know is just kind of dull you know or charismaless or whatever yeah i mean i just wanted to have good three-dimensional roles for women because those are the women i know what's next uh monster movie actually oh wow yeah, I'm very excited about jumping another genre. This is great, though, because you kind of go, oh, no, I'm going I'm to go over here. Yeah. It's, it's great. What a wonderful position to be in. Oh, no, it's really nice. You know, I mean, I'm still waiting for the for the studio to sign off on it, but I wrote the <laughs> script and I'm really happy with it. Um, and, uh, you know, the people who've read it so far really love it. But, you know, but again, it's another great, strong, uh, I don't like to say strong, another great three-dimensional female uh lead Great. for it and uh but then in this world this monster world which is i just love those old universal one you know uh, frankenstein and yeah dracula the bride of frankenstein those yeah. old james whale you know todd uh browning yeah. todd yeah. browning movies um they always had cracking scores as well yeah. really kind of sort of dramatic and big and kind of yeah you could almost be silent movies at times as well you know the way that the music is so powerful oh those. very much yeah. so yeah I, you know, I said to ted as i was like oh you're we're gonna have fun with this next one <laughs> oh great well maybe we could talk about that next time when, the, when you've done that. it i would love um, that but thank you for your christmas cheer sir it's My lovely pleasure. to chat to you merry christmas to you and, to you too. Thanks, <laughs> and thank you cheers to last Christmas that's Upward Looking Stranger by Theodore Shapiro rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the wonderful Paul Fig. my huge thanks to Paul for taking the time to talk to us what a gentleman he is last Christmas is on general release now now we'll put a Spotify playlist up for the show via edithbowman.com which is also the place to catch up with all of our previous episodes Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do keep telling your friends about us if you like what you hear. Next up, the man who's brought us, in my eyes, one of this year's best films, Joker. Todd Phillips, back on Soundtracking next week. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. (laughs) 